Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast. Thank you guys for, um, man, I'm so thankful they shared their story. If you've never met the Hayes, they are an awesome, awesome family um, that really haven't even been coming a real long time. Um, I mean, you guys are we're still within a year, so so your honeymoon phase here at Foundation Church. Um, but um, what I love that they said during this video is, uh, you know, we didn't ask for this, and I learned to wrestle with God, and some of you, maybe that's life where you're at, and what you're dealing with, you didn't ask for, and you're trying to deal with it, and you're wrestling with God. Keep wrestling. Um, I think they would both tell you that. Keep wrestling with the Lord, but what I love about their life is they have used the, the situations that life was for His glory and for His purpose, and Brandon and Brittany are fantastic at being found people that find people that bring people to a place where their life can be changed by the message that they hear. Um, And they have like one or two rows that are theirs now. Um, They just have brought neighbors and coworkers and families. And um, yeah, it's awesome awesome to see. And so I hope you catch that attitude in that Spirit Foundation Church because that is a core belief for us is that we're found people that have to be out there finding people and fulfilling the Great Commission. And we even talked about it in the announcement video, but starting July 21st, we've got FC Summer Days here. Um, and we're going to have Josh's Snow Shack, I think, on the 21st. One of the weeks after service, we're going to have one of those creepy ice cream trucks. Um, you know, um, all of it's free. We're going to do the inflatables that we're supposed to do for Father's Day on one of those days. Why? To make it easy for you to invite somebody to come hear a message that will change their life. And we think there's nothing greater that we can do with our life than to attract others to something that's way bigger than them. And that's Jesus Christ. And so Brandon and Brittany, thank you guys for sharing your story. Thank you for leading the way um, on this. It's just awesome to watch. It's awesome to watch. Um, Today we're in a new series called Foundations. So Foundations Church is in a series called Foundations. Um, Don't think we just name our church based on whatever series we go in, because that would mean one week or one month our series, our church would be named Dr. Love, and I don't know what we're going to attract in that. Like, hello, no, no, you go away. I'm here. I need to stay on target this morning. I don't have very much time, Um, and yes. So, we're on a series called Foundations, How to Build a Faith That Lasts. How do you build a faith that lasts? Because here's the, here's the deal. You've seen, I've seen, we've seen people that, man, they, they, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're going, they're going, they're going, and then they just fall away. You know, they, they have this moment, and they're going, and they're going, and they're going, and life throws something at them that they didn't ask for. 
like Brandon and Brittany are talking about. They're dealing with tough, difficult situations. They, they, and it may not even be that. It may, they just reach a different stage of their life, and they hit midlife crisis. And because Jesus said, you know, the, the, the wise person builds his foundation on the rock, but the foolish one builds it on the sand, on emotion of the moment. How do you and I, when the storms of life come our way, when the different seasons of life come our way, still have a relationship that is standing? standing firm and standing strong for the long haul, because that's the goal. It's not just to have a short-term relationship with God. It's to have a long-term relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to talk about that for the next few weeks. And for some of us, maybe we think, well, this is going to be basic stuff that, that, that I already know. Can I tell you what I have found in my life, in most people's life, is that it's the basic things that we get away from as followers of Christ, that we really need to return to and really focus in on. Um, and so there's just, we're going to be talking about that and, and really going in that. Um, before I go any further, I want to do one thing. There is a gentleman here named Chris that today is his one year celebration of being sober from alcohol and drugs today. Um, so yeah, Chris, we're proud of you, Bob. So it's, I, I love this church. Um, here, uh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an instant, there's something that happens every year that it's on my bucket list. It's a weird goal that I'm going to go do one of these days. It is the world's largest food fight that happens in Spain on the last Wednesday of every year. And it is, it is in this place, a small village of like 6,000 people called Benolts Plain. It's by Valencia, Spain, and 30,000 people come to this little tiny town of 6,000 people where they fill this square with 100 tons of tomatoes. And for an hour, they just start throwing food. There's, I think there's one more picture, you may have already shown it, of like just, yes, does that not look amazing? I'm like, yes. And here's the best part, you don't have to clean it up, right? Like you just get to go and make this massive mess and it's total chaos and then you walk away. We used to do a food fight when I was a youth pastor um, and we would, we would do this food fight every year. It was one of the biggest nights in our youth ministry and we would have pork and beans. We would have stewed tomatoes. We had mayonnaise one year that just sat outside in, a, in, a, in the hot trash can with a lid on it and it had soured and kids are throwing up everywhere. I'm like, this is awesome. Um, you know. <laughs> And here's, here's what I like blows my mind is that it took so much effort to set up the food fight. It takes hours and hours of time to clean up a food fight, hours, days to clean up a food fight, but it just takes moments to make a mess. Right? All you parents out there, let's be real, all you moms out there, um, this is made so real when you pick up the house and clean the house. It was brought to my attention a few years ago. I was like, hey, Casey, I cleaned the house. She goes, no, you didn't. You picked it up. I'm like, what's the difference? And she educated this fool on what the difference between picking up and cleaning the house is. Um, and I'm still learning. But... Um, you, you pick up, you clean the house, and it takes hours to pick up and clean your house and put everything where it's supposed to be and clean up. And it's amazing. Your kids, including your husband, come home, and it's destroyed in moments. 
and you lose your mind, right? You're just like, you just totally wiped out everything that I did by being there. And all the older, you know, grandparents would be like, you're going to miss that one moment. I'm not sure. But... Um, <laughs> Here's what is true, is what takes hours for you to clean up just takes moments to make a mess out of. And I found that to be even more so true when it comes to our life, is that you can make a mess out of your life in minutes, in one decision, in one choice, but it can take years to get it back on track. And, and, and where I see a lot of us and where our faith isn't really strong and really isn't really firm is that we don't have a good starting point for our faith. We don't have a good first step in our relationship. And, and, and anytime I see couples that start their relationship in a dysfunctional way, most of the time that relationship stays dysfunctional. Um, some of you are nodding your head. And the same is true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. When we don't start our relationship with Jesus Christ in a healthy way, but instead in a dysfunctional way, usually it leads us to a dysfunctional relationship and an unhealthy relationship in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so for a lot of us, we're like, well, where's the starting point? How, how does this all get going? And what a lot of us hear is that it begins with forgiveness. It begins with forgiveness. It begins with forgiveness. It begins feeling bad about our sins. And, and while that's close to the truth, and some of you are like, where are you going, Graves? Is this where the cult starts? What's in the box? Um, no snakes, I promise. Um, here's what I would tell you. We're really close, but that's not your starting point. And our first point, and this whole building a foundation for a faith that can last, it starts right here. It, Jesus calls you and me to repent, not just to ask for forgiveness and not just to feel sorry, but to repent. Let me, let me go over that one more time. Jesus calls you and me to repent, not just ask for forgiveness, not just to feel sorry, but to repent. What does repenting mean, right? Because some of us are like, oh, he's using a biblical term. I don't even know what this means. Here's, repenting, you've probably heard, means to turn from evil and turn from good. That's not, what, that's, that's not the definition for today. It's not turning from evil and trying to turn to do better. What repenting is, is turning from your mess, from evil, from sin, and turning to Jesus Christ and God. It's not just about you trying to do better. It's not just about you feeling bad. It's about about turning from your, your past and your mess and your sin and turning and embracing all that God has for you. In fact, this is what it says in the Bible about repentance. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Luke 5, 31 through 32, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. In fact, a lot of us, we know the story about the woman caught in the act of adultery. 
And the guys, the religious people, righteous people, bring this woman, and they're getting ready to stone her. And like, Jesus, you know, the law of Moses says we should stone him. And he goes, he without sin casts the first stone and just drops the mic and like, boom, Jesus moment, right? And everybody just going, like, okay, crap, you know, and they're just walking off. And Jesus is just draw, drawn in the sand or doing something. Nobody really knows. And there's a bunch of sermons about what he did. They don't know. They're just talking. Anyways, um, and, and so Jesus looks at the woman and says, hey, we're all your condemners. She goes, they're gone. He goes, neither do I condemn you. And here's the part we don't talk about very much. Go and sin no more. It, it wasn't just Jesus. Jesus didn't give the woman a hall pass. Right? He said, okay, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin. He didn't say, hey, I don't condemn you. Now don't get caught again. Right? He didn't say, okay, now feel really bad about what you did and it will be okay. No, 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 no. He says, okay, now leave this lifestyle to pursue what I have for you. Go and sin no more. In essence, repent. Don't be busy excusing all of your mess. Don't be busy trying to call it what it isn't. Man, turn from what it is and turn from what I have you. So, so what does repentance mean? What, what makes up repentance? Is Jesus saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. You know, I've called the sinners to repent. What does that mean? What makes up repentance? There's four things that make up repentance. The first one is this, repentance requires true brokenness. It's not just that you feel bad. It's not that you just feel guilty because you got caught, but you're truly broken about what your life has become. The second thing that makes up repentance is repentance is not asking the Lord for forgiveness with the intent to sin again. Right? That's a big one. It's not okay. Forgive me of looking at porn, but I'm going right back to it when I get home. No, 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 no. It's not, hey, forgive me of doing these drugs, but I'm going to go right back to it. Hey, forgive me of being this hothead and never saying the right thing and saying the wrong thing all the time and cursing my dogs at the, at the moment I come in because it pooped all over the floor. No, 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 no. Repentance is, it's, it's not asking the Lord forgiveness with the intent to sin again. Repentance, number three, is an honest, regretful acknowledgement of sin with commitment to change. And number four, repentance leads us to cultivate godliness while eradicating habits that lead into sin. Repentance leads us to cultivate godliness while eradicating habits that lead into sin. In fact, Jesus tells a story that I think just shows what real repentance looks like. He told this parable, this story in Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 11 through 24. And most of us, we know this story. Most of us, we grew up here in this story. It's the story of the prodigal son. And it says this, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. First off, that's just a messed up thing to ask your parent, right? Like, hey, can I just have all your money before you're dead? Like, that's just weird. Um, I see that watch, Dad. Give it to me. Um, a few days later, this young son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. 
He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. I want us to stop just for a second. And understand, when Jesus says this young man, this good young Jewish boy, right, is going and taking care of pigs, this is detestable as a Jew. This is the grossest. He has become ritually, spiritually, ceremonially, whatever other adjective you want to use, unclean, unfit. This Jews did not eat pigs. They still don't eat pigs. They don't interact with pigs because the animal is ritually, spiritually unclean. So when Jesus is saying, hey, this is, he went from this to that, this is the biggest, grossest, messiest thing you could conjure up to talk to other Jews about. So verse 17, when the son finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him and get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. When Jesus is reading this, and I'm not reading this, when he's telling this story, it never goes like, I didn't cut the passage off early. When the son came to the father, when he turned from his mess and went back home to his dad, to his father, it doesn't say that he went back to the pig farm. Didn't say that he went back to the mess. He went back to the condition he was in. He got himself in. No, no, no. Once he moved, he stayed gone. He never went back, and yet so many times we go from our mess to our Savior, to our mess to our Savior, to our mess to our Savior, and repentance is this. It's saying, no longer am I dealing with my mess. I'm turning to pursue the relationship with my Heavenly Father. And if you and I are really going to reach a place of repentance, we have to realize that it's time for us to pack up and move on. Time for us to pack up and move on because some of you, you're leaving some options open in the pig pen. Some of you, you're leaving some options of returning back to your mess. But if you're really, truly about repentance and building a relationship and a faith that lasts, you understand that you pack up and move on. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 3 says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving. And that's where a lot of people and a lot of their faith, well, you know, it's just grace. It's just grace. It's just grace. No, 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 no. That's not repentance. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep forgiving. I should hope not. If we've left a country where sin is sovereign, where sin is ruling, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? 
That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace and a new life in a new land. Don't you realize we packed up and left there for good? Some of you, you have been packed. You packed and you have moved recently. I don't know if you have ever moved. It's probably the worst event ever. it's, it stinks, man. Um, in fact, some of our staff members just moved recently. And for this uh, part of the sermon, it's like, hey, can I borrow some of your moving boxes? They're like, oh, we already threw those away. We already got rid of those things because we never plan on moving again. Can I tell you, when, when uh, we moved from our old house to this new house three years ago, I'm, you, the only way you're going to get me to move out of my house is to remove my dead body from there because I'm not ever moving again. It is insane. I'm not going to do it because it's such a pain in the rear. But when we got there, Casey made it like her goal in life to wipe out like all the boxes, get us out of the boxes, get us moved on, and we're moving from there. We didn't keep stuff in boxes. Some of you, you're going to feel really bad about yourself. You've lived in your same house for five years and you still got all your junk in boxes. Come on now, unpack that bad boy. Get those pictures hung, right? Um, but you, we moved out. We got rid of our boxes because we never planned on moving again. And for some of you, it's time for you not to just move boxes. It's time for you to get rid of this thing, to, to get, make sure I didn't hit an instrument, um, to make sure that, that you've moved on. And that's repentance. It's, it's not just boxing up your things. It's unpacking into this new relationship that Jesus Christ has for you and never going back to where you were and never going back to the mess and the addiction that you had. If you're going to build a faith that lasts, the first step isn't just forgiveness. It's not feeling bad. It's not feeling sorry, but it's coming to a place of repentance. The second thing I would tell you this morning about building a relationship that lasts is that you learn to keep abiding and being. Don't just do. You learn to keep abiding and being. Don't just do. And this is one of those points that kicks my rear every time I preach it. Because I'm really good at doing, I'm not so good at being. But here's what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And here it goes, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In 11 verses in this passage, Jesus says the words, the word abide, 10 times. 11 verses, 10 times, Jesus says the word abide. So it must be a pretty fundamental thing for you and I to do. The word abide comes from a Greek word called minnow, and it means this, to, to remain, stay, and I love this definition of it, or to continue. To continue in. It's a verb that you and I should be doing. So if we take that phrase to continue, check out how this reads. Continue in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it continues in the vine, neither can you unless you continue in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever continues in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not continue in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you continue in me and my words continue in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will continue in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and continue in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Here's what I love about this passage. When we read it with the meaning that kind of makes a little bit more applicable sense to me when I use the word continue is this. The promise is this. If you and I continue in him and his words continue in him and we stay grafted in and we remain and we stay put and we abide in him, he says this. So the whole reason for this is so that his joy may be complete in you, so that your life may be full of joy. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be happy when you face the trials and you face situations that you didn't ask for, but that you can still find joy that is your strength in those situations. Why? Because you're taking time to abide. You're taking time to continue in him because you realize apart from him, if I don't continue to be with him, I can't do it on my own. Jesus shows a great, there's there's a, a situation that shows the difference between somebody that continues to abide and remain and the difference between somebody that just does. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Says this, as they continued their travel, Jesus entered a village and a woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. But Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It is the main course and won't be taken away from her. Can I tell you, I get guilty all the time of being Martha instead of Mary, and that's the only time I will call myself a woman. 
It said this phrase, Martha got pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen, but it was Martha's idea to bring Jesus to their house in the first place. And she starts getting worked up and mad because Mary's sitting there doing nothing but just sitting there and being lazy and listening to this Jesus guy and all he's got to say and just taking it all in. Well, it must be great to enjoy the moment, Mary. I got all this crud to do right now. It sure would be great. And Jesus comes and is like, hey, hey, Martha. When he says your name twice, you know it's bad, right? Like, Martha, 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 Martha. Like, you say your kid's name twice when they're doing something stupid. Like, Justin, Justin. Like, heard it all the time. He's like, Martha, Martha. You're freaking out over something that's not that big of a deal. And I have a feeling you and me are in the same group that we freak over and we freak out about things in life that aren't that big of a deal. Fear comes in, anxiety creeps in, and we start freaking out because we are focused on the wrong thing and we're pulled away by all the many things we have to do and we forget to just be. And we forget to remain. And we forget to continue. And when we do that, we can't, we can't do anything. And, and the thing that Martha shows me is two things, is that good things have a tendency to pull you away from the main thing. Good things have a tendency to pull you away from, what, what Martha was doing wasn't bad, right? Martha was providing a meal for Jesus and the disciples. I mean, come on with that. Cook me some vittles, right? I mean, Martha is doing a good thing. I just said vittles. Martha's doing... A good thing, but it wasn't the main thing. And, and, and this is, but Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. My life would say, but Justin was pulled away by all he had to do for the church. Good thing, but not the main thing. But Justin was pulled away by all he had to do as a husband. Good thing, not the main thing. By all he had to do as a dad, by all he had to do as a friend, by all he had to do because he's got ADHD. No, 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 no. Hear me, those aren't bad things, most of them. They're good things. But when I forget to choose the main thing, when I forget and when I don't decide to remain and continue in him, I'm never the pastor that I should be. I'm never the husband that I should be. I'm never the dad and the friend and all the different things that he's calling me to be. I can't do it because apart from him, I can't do it. Second thing I notice is this, is that by being a doer, don't make mistakes for doing for Christ. Don't mistake doing for Christ as the same as being with Christ. And, and this is where guilty. I can be busy doing good things. Not for Justin. I can, I can be busy doing things for, man, God's kingdom. Doing good things for a foundation church but I mistake all my good doing for being. I, I mistake all my, my, my good intentions for not just staying and being and remaining and continuing just to get in his presence. Best way, and I, I gotta shut it down. The best way I can explain this is it's almost like parents of teenagers. Do you know the second highest divorce rate for parents is once the kids leave the home? And all that happens is that these two parents, these, before they were ever parents, they were a couple. You know, and, and this couple, 
that was together and that God brought and they love, man, I love you. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Right? Like now, now the millennials like you stop texting. No, you stop texting. Like, you know, like what, what are you stop emoji me? Um, it's just, it, it just continues on, right? That couple that was so in love and that, what, what happened? They got busy doing for their kids and doing good things and being a dad and doing, trying to provide for the family and trying to provide for the husband and trying to do all these good things for everybody else that they forgot to stay connected. And when the kids left, they're looking at each other like, who are you? I don't like you anymore, and I don't like you, and I don't know who you are. And they're having to reconnect, and a lot of people aren't willing to reconnect because they got separated. They forgot to be with one another. They forgot to just stay in love with one another. And what happens so many times with godly men and godly women is they get so busy doing and doing that they forgot to stay connected with the main thing. In fact, it says this, the writer of Revelation, John's talking to the church. I believe it's in Ephesus. I may be wrong, but he says, what, what happened to you? What, what, I, I see all you, that you've done, but I hold this one thing against you, that you left your first love. Some of us, that's what's happened. It's not that you're doing, you're doing great things. You're a great dad. You're a great mom. You're a great spouse, but we're forgetting to stop and just be right here. And as a result... Man, our faith is going to be shaky, and we could be so much more and do things with so much more power and joy if we would just learn to remain, to continue to abide in Him. Because the promise is this, when we abide and when we remain right here, you can be fruitful no matter what you're going through. Man, you, you can be like Brandon and Brittany, and you can stay fruitful even though you're going through situations you never asked for. You can be busy and going all over the place like Kevin Kunkel, who's one of the busiest people I know, but he's still fruitful because he's remaining right here. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on and what's trying to cut in on this, but apart from him, here's what the word says. It doesn't matter how much you know about him. If you don't know him and you don't abide in him, you can't do it for the long haul. So it's not just about repenting today. Some of us, we got that down. Some of us, in just a moment, you're going to have a, your opportunity to get that down. But for the rest of us, it's about abiding, remaining, continuing in Him, and not just doing the good things, and not mistaking doing for being. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for how patient you are with us. And God, my prayer today is that you would allow us to set a foundation for a faith and a relationship with you that lasts. God, that no matter the situations, no matter the circumstances that want to come in, no matter what stage of life we're in, the Lord, our relationship with you lasts the long haul. And so for some of us today, it's about getting that first step down. God, some of us, we keep asking for forgiveness, but we go right back to it. Lord, we've, we've gotten a hall pass, but we haven't repented of our past. And so, Lord, I ask that into this, to, the, to today, Lord, there would be a turning moment of turning from this and chasing after that and, and not going back that we packed it all up, we put it in boxes, and we got rid of the boxes because we're not going back to that. But Lord, for others of us, I ask that today we would just learn to be. 
Lord, that we wouldn't just do. We wouldn't just do for other people. We wouldn't just do good things. We wouldn't just do things for your kingdom. But God, Lord Jesus, we would learn to be in you and just connect with you and fall in love and stay in love and abide and continue to be in your presence. God, I pray, let us become like Mary today who hung on to every word and don't let us get pulled away. The temptation's so big by all we have to do in all the different areas of life like Martha. Let us choose the one essential thing. That's to stay. That's to continue. And that's to abide in you. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if you're here and you say, Justin, I, I, I need to repent. I, I need to turn from the mess. I need to turn from the sin. And I need to turn after God. Not just feel sorry, not just ask for forgiveness, but I need to turn this morning and I need to repent of some things that are going on in my life. This isn't something to be ashamed of. This is nothing to be embarrassed of. Uh, This is something to be excited about. And when I count to three, if that's you, I'm just gonna invite you to raise your hand and start your relationship with a massive, huge turning moment of repentance. We're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna lead you into another room. We're just gonna lead you in a prayer that will change your life. If that's you, when I get to three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Is there anyone here today? You say, Justin, that's me. There's one, there's two, there's three. Is there anyone else? You join these three hands. If you're raising your hand and I don't see it, it's not that big of a deal. The main thing is Jesus sees a hand and he changes the heart. Is there anyone else? Before we go any further in service, you join these three hands that are lifted. Before we go any further, yeah, I see your hand. Is there anyone else? You don't join these four hands that are lifted before we go any further in prayer. If you raise your hand, if you please repeat this prayer after me and mean it from your heart. Jesus, I come before you today. Now I confess that I have sinned and that I've messed up. God, I've made a mess of things. I don't want to be busy excusing them away. I want to be busy turning from them. So Jesus, I repent. I turn from the evil. I turn from the sin. And I turn to you. And I chase after the life and I grab hold of the life that you have for me. I ask that your love and your forgiveness would come into my life. I confess you, Jesus Christ, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we give these four individuals that raise their hand a huge round of applause? Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or in need of prayer or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv.